Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to In The Queue. I am your co-host, Andrew. And why so many films about irascible geniuses these days? I guess there's a market for it. I mean, it's that time of year. I guess so. I mean, yeah, it does seem to be that time of year. I'm Phil, your other co-host, and somebody once told me that I look like Benedict Cumberbatch. Ooh. Yeah. It was where at the job where I was working, somebody came up and told me that. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's a compliment, I think. I guess so. No, I think it is a compliment, definitely. Yeah, I think, generally speaking, that would be. Although my ex-roommate used to refer to him as old fish face. Mm. So... Thanks. Thanks a lot. There's that, too. <laughs> Santa looks like they got a fish face. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, well. So, <laughs> moving on. We're going to be talking today about the Oscar-nominated film, The Imitation Game, directed by Morton Tildum mm-hmm. and starring the aforementioned Mr. Benedict Cumberbatch, as well as uh, a number of other actors, including Kira Knightley and Matthew Good and Rory Kinnear and Alan Leach and Mark, Mark Strong and Charles Dance. Like, really, yeah, really Dance. solid British cast. Very much so. Um, and it's a British film about British people. Yeah. Although the director himself is not British. Oh, where is he from? Um, I believe he is Dutch, if I'm not mistaken. He directed the film Headhunters from a couple years back. Mm-hmm. Which starred uh, Nikolai Koster Waldau, who is who plays Jamie Lannister in Game of Thrones, mm. and has risen to fame through that. But this was an excellent thriller. Besides, mm-hmm. and uh, and I don't remember exactly where it came from, but we can find out. Uh, yeah, we can. Anyway, uh, the film that we're talking about today is The Imitation Game. But before we get into the conversation about that, we're going to tell you how to find us online. It's pretty simple. Yeah. You can either go to our website at www.in-the-q, that's the letter Q, .com. And there you can find all of our postings and you can also make suggestions as to what you would like to hear. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do do listener requests, even though it's the height of the awards season right now, and our listener requests have kind of died down while we take care of all of the nominated films. Right. But once awards season kind of blows over, we'll go back to doing the listener requests, and you can request those, and we would love to have you on the show as a guest to talk about whatever movie you've requested. Um, It's uh, it's really a great joy for us, and I think that uh, it's a lot of fun for you if you are the person requesting. So... Please do so. Mind you, you uh, we're not going to fly you anywhere. Um, it's all, it's no, all done no. by Skype. It's all done by Skype. Uh, but we uh, can also receive your input through our Facebook page, which is in the queue, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. And there you can find uh, the forum for you know putting in your own comments and suggestions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can also find additional materials that we post that are supplemental to the conversations about the films that we're having already. Mm-hmm. Finally, you can find us on iTunes. And on iTunes, you can subscribe to our podcast. Yeah. And once subscribed, you will be delivered every one of our episodes. And we usually do about two episodes a week. So uh, it's a pretty solid block of listening. And we encourage you to do so. That's right. You can catch up to all of our older shows. We're nearing the 100 mark of episodes of In the Queue. So uh, get cracking. Get cracking. Get cracking. 
Now, as I said, the movie that we're going to be talking about today is The Imitation Game, directed by Morten Tildum. Who is Norwegian, by the way. Who is Norwegian. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. it was from Norway. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And Perfect. he made Love a it. film a couple of years ago called Fallen Angels. Which is oh. the same title as one of the films that we reviewed on this very show. We did. A few weeks that ago. was the Wong Kar Wai version of that. Indeed. Film. It was not. Well, probably a different story, too. Not even a version. Yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. The Wong Kar Wai similarly titled film. Yeah. Or identically titled film. Mm-hmm. Anyway, The Imitation Game got a, uh, a number of nominations at the Oscars. A yeah. total of eight. And uh, was... Kind of, I guess, expected to, to get a lot of those sort of from the beginning. It tells the story of Alan Turing, the genius mathematician mm-hmm. who uh, was entrusted with uh, breaking the Enigma Code, which was an unbreakable Nazi code that allowed uh, Germany to communicate with its forces all over the world mm-hmm. and, uh, and for a long time was thought to be unbreakable. Uh, because of the method of encryption that they used uh, and the sort of rigorous discipline that they had for not communicating, you know, past midnight on any given day with the same code as the previous day. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was thought for a long time to be unbreakable. And the Nazis were doing huge damage to the Allies. Indeed. And uh, And Alan Turing sort of was entrusted in the, in the way that it is told, at least in this film, and I think to some extent uh, accurate to real life. He goes to Bletchley Park and is entrusted with uh, trying to help break that code. Mm-hmm. And he has a team of people that he works with, uh, led sort of at least spiritually by a character played by Matthew Good, Hugh Alexander. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they are using the old methods hand trying trying to break the code by hand every day and then at midnight they go through this very weary process of of rolling it over but alan turing is convinced that if he builds a machine to break the code it can do it much more efficiently much more efficiently and correctly and all of that uh so the the film chronicles that process to be sure but it also chronicles the fact that Alan Turing was gay and he uh, was eventually prosecuted for that. It was illegal at the time in England and uh, it became a very difficult thing for him because, Mm -hmm. because of the, it was a secret that he had to hide as, as did many people at the time. Right. And, uh, but more than it being a secret, it, it really sort of destroyed him and led him I don't think that it's, it's a big spoiler here. Uh, <laughs> well, you've, you've already sort of uh, dro- dropped a bomb that wasn't revealed uh, till later in the film. Um, well, this is well, okay, maybe I have, but but, but I, it this is, is public, common knowledge. It's common knowledge now. It's public record, and it doesn't particularly affect the machinations of the plot. We we know what's going to happen anyway because yes. we're alive and we are, know about history, well, and, and we know also about how movies work. And we get the indications very early on from some flashbacks to his childhood as to what this, what his predilections are. His predilections are, I would say, are hinted at, and then eventually they are explained. And if if we are going to go ahead and just sort of reveal what happens to Turing um, subsequently after he, he manages to successfully break the code, um, 
the the English government basically forces him to take medication. Um, I think in they thought that it would cure his his quote yes. unquote. Yeah, disease. they believe. Yeah, the the standard sort of punishment or treatment, mm-hmm. quote unquote, at the time was chemical castration. Exactly. And, Essentially, and then he became so miserable that he did take his own life. Yeah. So um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I do suppose it's a it's a bit of a supposition on our part to think that this is common common knowledge. But uh, having known about Alan Turing rather extensively, seeing as how he is essentially the founder of computing as we know it, mm-hmm. he is the father of all computing as we know it today, um, or at least of great amount of it right uh he he is more than just a you know a, a, a footnote in history he is and will go down as one of the great innovators true in the history of mankind and and winston churchill said that alan turing himself was the most important player in in succeeding yes. in world war ii yes yes indeed uh and so the film itself is is a chronicle of all of these different sort of interwoven uh, threads. Uh, Kira Knightley plays Joan Clark, who is uh, one of the brilliant mathematicians who faces her own problems and her own set of discrimination, just based on the fact that she's a woman Mm -hmm. uh, who happens to be into a man's discipline. Um, Not just into it, but exceptional at it. Right, right. And uh, and that creates its own set of problems. But uh, the movie itself... I thought was very well acted. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't think that there's a bad actor in this bunch. And I think that they all turn in very, very excellent performances. Um, I can't really comment on the historical accuracy of this film. Um, as with some of the other films that we have watched this awards season, including things, uh, another film, as I mentioned in the opening about an irascible genius, the theory of everything. Yes. Uh, you know, the, the critic, the criticisms that have been lobbed at the film are that it's not accurate to the way things actually happen. You mean the imitation Uh, game, imitation game and this film and American sniper and and, and pretty much anything at Foxcatcher, all of these movies that are, are based on actual events. The major criticisms of the films have tended to be ones about the veracity of. Yeah. I, the, the facts. And to me, anytime anybody makes that argument, uh, I assume that they have no idea what they're talking about or that they don't understand film at all. And whenever has there been somebody whose life was turned into a film and they were like, yep, that's it. 100% that's accurate. Exactly. Good yep. job, well, filmmakers. Good job, filmmakers. Just as boring as real life is. <laughs> right, yeah. Thanks so much. You captured all of the stupid things that happened in my life so well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it has it, it really has to do with a colossal lack of uh, understanding of narrative or storytelling or filmmaking or any number of things. It just, you know, um, oftentimes these are uh, complaints lodged by um, literary fanatics, I find. Yeah. People who, who have read the book or read the, the biography of a person's life or any, you know, uh, source like that. And they're complaining about the the content of the film, you know, glossing over certain parts or, you know, stitching together people into one person to to like fill in some. Ga- and, and again, it, like that's great when you're reading an 800 page book, uh-huh. 
to have everything covered in, in great detail. But when you are making a film, yeah, you, you have to make concessions unless you're going to make a really long miniseries or something out of it. Uh, you know, what, what you're saying is, is um, a, a qualm that I had with Foxcatcher from our last episode was that they, they, the, that is, the, yeah, that's true. The, the events that actually transpired were, were, um, you know, changed for the sake of, of drama in the film. But in this case, I thought that they weren't dramatic enough in the film. Yes. <laughs> could have well, yeah, which I thought was a, a, a curious thing. I was actually thinking about that, uh, today about your comments in, in our Foxcatcher episode uh-huh. and, and the fact that, uh, it, it was, it was referencing the fail what where the film failed you mm-hmm. that that you thought it might have done them more good to pay attention to the to the, the actual events as they happened yeah. because those events might have been more interesting or more engaging yeah, and they could have been spun in a more engaging way even if they weren't patently interesting on their own but they could have been converted into something that I thought was more dramatic or thrilling than what was actually in the film. Right, right. But in the case of something like the imitation game, uh, the the complaints that people are lodging mm-hmm. is, oh, it didn't happen that way. Yeah, yeah. And that's fine. That's all well and good. Uh, I don't take those criticisms to heart. Uh, but the criticism that I would have about this film is that it is so conventionally Weinstein. <laughs> oh, you took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, I was going to bring that. I was going to bring up Weinstein. You're talking about oh, this is a very oh. British film. This is a very British film with British actors and, and, a, and a European director. And I was going to say, yeah, distributed by the yeah. American Weinstein company in December, <laughs> just in time for Oscar season. Oh yeah. It, I was going to say almost, the same thing. Oh, it's a, it's a formula. It is a formula. Yeah. And at this point in time in, you know, in the mid nineties, it was new and fresh and interesting. <laughs> Uh, but at this point in time, it feels so incredibly formulaic. Yeah. And in this film in particular, I found it to be frustrating. Ooh. I found it to actually make the film worse for me. And I think a lot of this had to do with the screenplay, which I was not very fond of. Mm. I did not think that it was a good screenplay. I thought that the, the characters in this film, all, nobody talked like a human being. Nobody spoke to each other. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that that's a requirement. I mean, people make that they lodge that criticism when they talk about movies like Juno, which I think have really great or when they talk about Quentin Tarantino movies, mm-hmm. they say, oh, nobody talks like that. Nobody talks like that. And that may be true. But in those films, Juno, uh, you know, Pulp Fiction, anything like that, there's a poetry to the way that they use language and the the, the banter and the back and forth that heightens character and helps reinforce the pace of the film and the the action of the film and who the characters are. Also, it's not a docudrama when you're when you're watching a Juno or 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 right. fiction. You're you're watching a world created by the director, and yes. he has no allegiances to any facts or history. He's doing. He's just in, he's playing in a sandbox, creating a world for us to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in a film like this, The Imitation Game. Uh, if people are talking in broad strokes, which I think they do excessively in this film, uh, they every conversation is so laden with portent, and so uh, every line is so full of meaning. I mean, they almost talk in inspirational quotes that you would put on your wall. You know, like it, 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 
it didn't seem real half the time. Now I'm not saying that this was across the entire film, but there were so many conversations in this film that seemed, and I, I probably should have written down some of these lines because they bothered I me so much. I can think of a couple. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, Throw one when out Matthew Good, um, first talks to Alan Turing one of the first times and he says, you know, for this whole irascible genius thing to work, you actually have to be a genius. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Or the, the re- repeated, uh, line. Sometimes it's the people that, uh, no, nobody thinks anything of that do the things that <laughs> nobody else can do or whatever it is. It's, yeah. It's. Silly. Yeah, I mean, and like scenes where the whole like Kira Knightley's character. Let me just say, I don't think she really needed to be nominated for best supporting actress for this film. I, I just <laughs> didn't think she was that impressive. I mean, give the award to somebody else. Like, give it to like Carrie Coon or Kim Dickens from Gone Girl. You know, like get them some more nominations yeah. for that great film that was so yeah. ignored. I mean, she's she's fine. Or give it to Amy Ryan from Yeah, uh, yeah. From Birdman. Birdman. That would yeah. that would have been a good pick too, um, but I mean, it's just so conventional. Like she shows up, she blows all the other guys away with her with her brain power, and she's smarter than everybody else. And and she becomes Alan Turing's right hand woman, and you know she's like she and they they defy the odds. They're both the outcasts. Yeah, and, and she, they defy the odds together. Yeah, she, she does the introductory test, and 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 she's like, I'm finished. And Alan Turing's like, uh, already, but it's been only five minutes and 43 seconds. And she goes, you said to do it in under six. And it's like, yeah. And oh. he's like, and, and just before that, he says, oh, nobody can do it in six. It takes me eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> I mean, this film, it was, I, I uh, thought that theory of everything was another similarly conventional yeah. film. I think it's also a Weinstein distributed movie, but but this film, it just hits all the same notes. There's nothing really like objectionable about it. It's just, it's kind of like nurturing. It's a nurturing film. You know, it kind of it tells us the kind of story we want to see. I, the word I would use to describe it is the same word that I would use to describe pretty much the entirety of the Oscar nominations this year. Oh. And that is safe. Yeah. This is one of the safest, most benign, completely inconsequential films that I've seen this in a long time. This is not 1969, for example, where Midnight Cowboy wins Best Picture. <laughs> yeah, an no, it's not film. that. Nope, nope. Nobody's pushing any boundaries here. Nope. Um, and, and that's not to say that I didn't find it to be a satisfying film. I did. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed... Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's performance, most especially, although I do think that it was a little a bit um, chewing at the scenery at, at a few points in the in the film. I thought he was uh, uh, really doing it up at a couple of points. Um, but overall, a very very fine performance. I think a lot of the supporting performances are really excellent. Um, Matthew Good, who I've become a, a, a pretty big fan of. I think he's, he's quite excellent. Yeah. In a lot I see of stuff. his poster on your wall there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the poster from Stoker, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a really weird movie, by the way, by one of my favorite directors. I think of really... Matthew Good in uh, match point. That's what I think of him. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Which he's fantastic in. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, uh, 
I, I, throughout this film, I just couldn't escape that sense of been there, done that. I, I, I just could not, and, and, and I don't, I, you know, I say that and you'll hear me at various different points in time argue against, you know, the old, uh, Roger Ebert quote. That's one of my favorite quotes of all time, which is, it's not about what a movie's about. It's about how it's about it. I think that that is especially true in a case like this. I usually talk about that when I'm talking about people complaining that a movie is too predictable or it is too like other movies that I've already seen. You know, I could, I, I knew what was going to happen. Well, it doesn't matter if you knew what was going to happen. It's about how it happens. that really matters. Mm-hmm. And I think that this movie is kind of a poster child for it happening in such a conventional way that it actually diminishes the value of the greater whole. It's kind of like the actual name of the film has become an ironic statement about the quality <laughs> of it. It's, you know, it's funny because I actually, I was thinking about the, the, the name of the, of the film afterwards and I was thinking the imitation game. Okay. So it, they didn't really hit it very hard in the, the movie itself, but they talked about the Turing test, mm-hmm. which is a test that no computer has passed to this, to this day, although they kind of tried to fake like a computer passed it earlier in 2014, but most people say it didn't actually pass it, which is where, where a computer gets to the point where it can become indistinguishable from a human being, right? To someone who is interacting with the computer, you know, through a screen or, you know, mm-hmm. however. Uh, and he explains it to this police officer in the film but I thought about like the idea there, there was a couple that was walking out of the th- movie theater after, in front of me as we were leaving the theater. And they were talking about the fact and, and this woman was saying, well, he was also playing the imitation game because he was having to pretend to be something that he wasn't. And how, you know, he he really like had to become a different person in order to put on this facade and how he really wasn't that friendly. And that was an, an imitation, uh, you know, of, of how other people operate. And, you know, that's how he was able mm. to ingratiate himself to others and become and I was like, those are all really great observations that I don't think were anywhere in this film. <laughs> I, I, I like I did not see those things. And I usually think of myself as being pretty keen to kind of pull out those elements of a film. Right. And I just saw none of that. I saw none of it. Well, he didn't seem to be struggling really to to I mean, work with these people. He was always bitter. He was always angry and, and antisocial. We never actually saw him yearning to connect with anybody or, you know, yearning to to sort of be known or understood, I felt. Yeah, and I think that that very possibly might be true to life. I mean, if he was kind of, you know, uh, antisocial or, or uh, introverted to the point where he could not really... D- relate to other people or deal with other people. Yeah, and I believe it. I'm just saying like he, I don't, with what you're saying about that woman's analogy, I, I don't think the movie did back it up really. I think it's, yeah, it's, a, I, it's a nice thing to see, to come up with, you know, when you know the story on paper, but if you look at what the film was telling you about Turing, um, it's a nice sort of reading of the movie, but, um, but it's kind of a reach, I would say. Yeah, and, and I don't, I, you know, uh, it's interesting because the, the, the stories here are, are very interesting and, and the, the source material is fascinating. I actually just finished a book, a, a fictional f- uh, book, last year called Cryptonomicon, which is a Neil Stevenson novel. It's a very famous Neil Stevenson novel about code breakers in World War II and mm-hmm. Nazi gold and 
all kinds of like it, it's huge. It's a massive book, just absolutely tremendously large. And Alan Turing figures very heavily in that story as well, mm-hmm. both as a character and as kind of an, an in, uh, kind of influential thing that's hanging over the entire thing. Because the 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 book is almost entirely about uh, code breaking. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's really what it's about. So obviously he would figure heavily, and it does take place during World War II, or at least a good portion of it does. And uh, and that kind of stuff is like so immensely fascinating. And I almost feel like the filmmakers here were more interested in that aspect of it than they were in the character aspect of it, which may also account for a little bit of Benedict Cumberbatch's me feeling like maybe he was overshooting his mark because it seemed out of whack. The emotion, the the swings of emotion to me seemed out of whack with the tenor of the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, just sort of the nature of the story, you know, like the, yeah. the, a computer basically tabulating information. Well, yeah, I mean, it is because you're 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 dealing with a group of people who are all you know logicians. They're all people who are yeah. you know tabulating data, and they're not going to let their you know personal lives get in the way. So yeah, I think that this is a story that was. I think it was engineered to uh, to be a film and it was engineered to sort of a uh, sort of be that kind of a crowd pleaser in a way or get on your feet kind of movie if you look at the trivia for for the imitation game on imdb the screenplay for this movie topped the annual blacklist for best unproduced hollywood scripts of 2011 so th- this is already a script circulating in, in and being written in hollywood Never mind that it's a British team of actors and filmmakers. Right, right. I mean, and so you this this goes to show why it's got that Weinstein touch to it, and um, and it never fails. It seems to bring in audiences. It brings it brings in award nominations, if not awards. Yeah. And uh, seasoned moviegoers like you and I have seen it all before, and it's just uh, it's it's nothing particularly remarkable. Except I would I would hearken back to. Mr. Cumberbatch and say he does convey uh, this this character with a great a great degree of likability. I would say he was he was kind of an arse, but he was still a likable person. Yeah, I think that's that's to his credit, really, that he was able to to manage that duality. Yeah, and 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 that he was able to put that like manifest that passion in his gate and in his speech and mm-hmm. in his uh, you know his, his whole performance is really quite extraordinary i think i mean he, i think he's really excellent in this film i think he's a great actor mm-hmm. to begin with uh but i think he's really excellent in this film um and that uh I, I, you can't take that away from this movie or or really you know i i'm being very critical but i did enjoy the film and i enjoyed it in the same way i would say that i enjoy uh, like summer action blockbusters and stuff like that. It it is formulaic in exactly the same way. It's just formulaic for you know a a literate crowd, right? Right. Instead of <laughs> like instead of uh, guns, there's a computer. Yeah, and and for people who uh, I always find it very humorous when people will deride the the absolute uh, repetitiveness of Hollywood and the and the uh, dumbing down of Hollywood and they'll talk about those, those summer, but they'll talk about the fast and the furious movies and they'll talk about, you know, big, uh, 
tentpole comic book movies and action pieces and stuff like that. And then they'll go and they'll watch movies like this and they'll just talk about how great and wonderful and fantastic it is. I see no difference. Mm-hmm. I I think they are just as formulaic and they're being uh, sort of cookie cutter produced in exactly the same way. It's just for a different audience. Yeah. Well, I see your point. Um, I enjoyed the movie too, but I it's I expected more, I guess, is what it comes down to. Yeah, I mean, from from a movie that comes out this time of year, when I I know full well, people are trying to push their 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 message films, their high quality films, and this movie I just thought was kind of, you know, formulaic. But 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 I would still recommend it to anybody who's curious about the movie and and say that Benedict Cumberbatch really is the main reason to see it. I would agree with that sentiment. Yeah. Um, it, it's going to be enjoyable. I wouldn't say rush out to the theater to see it. Um, it is an Oscar contender this year. So if you are an Oscar junkie like we are, uh, you'll probably want to see it. But, uh, but if this were to win basically anything, I, I will, I'll go bonkers. Yeah. Well, I think Eddie Redmayne's got best actor sewn up in a silk purse. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's possible. It's possible. We shall see. But we'll get to that in our Oscars podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so that, that's our show about uh, The Imitation Game. Hope you enjoyed it. And stay tuned for our next episode. We're going to talk about another new film, another major Oscar contender, and the source of much controversy these days. That's yeah. right. I'm talking about American Sniper, directed by Clint Eastwood. Oh, yeah, and starring Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper, who's like, he was just like got an opportunity for to become a more serious actor, and he ran with it. Would you say he took the shot? I say he looked at the playbook, <laughs> and he made the hustle. Now he's nominated again for the third year in a row for Best Actor. <laughs> it's true. It's true. All right. Uh, yeah, join us for that. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. We'll see you then. <laughs>